The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the view of Wolfpack Research or any of its officers. The views and opinions expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. We are not investment advisors. We hold no registrations with the SEC, FINRA, or any other regulatory agency, and none of the opinions expressed on this podcast should be considered investment advice. The listener should assume that we have positions in and stand to benefit from any stock or other security mentioned on this podcast. Do your own research before making investment decisions. Welcome to the Wolf Den, everybody. This is Dan David coming back at you at the pack on the I Hung Up on Warren Buffett podcast. Today we have Sound Carl still with us. That's right. Survivor. Survivor. Standing stronger than John Fetterman. Big show today. Big show. Somebody that we really wanted to have on our show for a very long time that we should all pay a lot of attention to. Experience in taxes and economics like we have never heard on our show. Arthur B. Laffer, Art Laffer, an economic uh, acumen and influence in triggering the wide world of tax-cutting movement in the 1980s, earned him the distinction in many publications as the father of supply-side economics. The Laffer Curve, though he does not claim that uh, he came up with it, he has made it the Laffer Curve, or people have made it that way for him is one of the main theoretical constructs of supply-side economics, illustrating the trade-off between tax rates and actual tax revenues. Dr. Laffer was a member of President Reagan's Economic Policy Advisory Board for both of his terms in 1981 and 1989. He was a member of the Executive Committee of the Reagan-Bush Finance Committee in 1984 and was a founding member of the Reagan Executive Advisory Committee for the principal race in 1980. He also advised Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. The Iron Lady. Iron Lady, that's yeah. right. Yeah. On fiscal policy in the UK during the 1980s, Dr. Laffer received a BA in economics from Yale University in 1963 and an MBA and a PhD in economics from Stanford. Dr. Laffer currently lives in Nashville, cool, where he is the founder and chairman of Laffer Associates, an institutional economic research and consulting firm. That's one I would hire if I needed tax consulting. Dr. Laffer. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure. I love the Wolfpack idea. It's just cool. <laughs> well, you know what? On some days, it just is. <laughs> <laughs> Those, but, but not as cool as Voodoo Economics. Your favorite oh, president voodoo. tagged Dr. Laffer as the as a, a, a proprietor of Voodoo Economics. Okay, it's it it is true that Bush Senior was my favorite president. Oh, I thought he got a bad deal overall. I really did. I thought he was a very smart, qualified man with no charisma, <laughs> and his son had all the charisma and wasn't, you know, not so, so smart. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm in a tough crowd today. Oh, my God. It's, it's starting off heavy right away. If you had to put them together, they'd have been a pretty damn good one. But yeah, I guess that was during the primary, right, where, you know, the, the voodoo economics and Tell me, did he jump right on board after? Well, he didn't understand it. Do you know what voodoo is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I have a, a notion. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. It's the past pluperfect of VD. <laughs> That's awesome. I'd have loved to have been in the room when you told him that. I had a big sign in my office at USC, home of voodoo economics. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, it turns out that uh, you know some of that some of that voodoo is the stuff that we do that works. And you know, you came up with this. You didn't come up with the concept, but you 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 delivered the concept in such a way that people could understand it. It's a great story. Uh, you know, a lot of generations don't know it. There there are a couple uh, famous people a part of this story. And as so much work is done in Washington on the back of a cocktail napkin, can you tell us a little bit about that day? Yeah, well, I'll tell, I'll, I'm not, I don't know if I can tell you about that day specifically. I'm old. I drool. I, I forget a lot. So, <laughs> and by the way, the you know, if you ever tell a joke, if you ever told a joke that really goes over well, yeah, well, once, once, everyone roars and laughs. And what do you do? Then you tell it all the time. Right. Gotcha. So once you develop a curve like that, that I did, it came from my classes where I was basically mathematics. Uh, and what I did is I used these little parables, these little uh, vignettes, et cetera, to explain the the math of what it is in the real world. And one of those was the Laffer curve. If you tax at 100%, you won't get any revenues because no one will work. If you tax at 0%, you won't get any revenues because, well, you don't collect any taxes on what they do earn. So, you know, I, I did that and I did that with a bunch of people. And so I went around all the people who weren't economists doing that little curve, that little curve all the time. So I can't really assure you that I remember that evening specifically above all others. I do. I, I do. And I recorded it for posterity. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what Don Rumsfeld said he did. And that's what Dick Cheney said he did but they there were three or four others who claimed to have been there too who i mean you know whatever it is but it was a fun fun night don rumsfeld's one of my dearest friends was yeah and dick Cheney was a classmate of mine at yale one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet i just think he's wonderful yeah and what i was trying to explain to them at the time was that their tax surcharge uh which was called whip inflation now the wind buttons was the tax surcharge that they wouldn't collect the 5% additional revenue. They may collect four, they may collect three, but they won't collect five because people will shelter their income. People will reduce the amount of income they earn and there will be a response on the tax base. So that's all the curve does is illustrates that. And I, I guess they all really liked it. Well, <laughs> it famous. I think I, they did. I think they did. And I have your book here, your, your latest book, Taxes Have Consequences. A oh, boy, do they. And you're, you're very nice enough to inscribe it. I'm not a lawyer, I think, before I speak, and that's right over the Laffer Curve illustration, which I think is fantastic. I mean, you know, when I'm done with it, I'm going to give it to my father. He's going to absolutely love that. <laughs> and and this is this is kind of the... I use that line every now and then. And, you know, the, the people on the line don't hear it quite, so it takes about a quarter of a second delay, which is really fun. You hear them, you know, I'm not a lawyer, I think, before I speak. And they go, they go, oh! <laughs> and they catch it, you know. It's a. I love doing those type of zingers. Oh, we 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 go after lawyers. Oh, they come after me constantly. I had three or four cease and desist last year, which are fun. I file them. Oh my god! Yeah, sometimes I have them made into toilet paper and send them back to the people. It's a, it's a great fun for me. But yeah, I mean, lawyers are great. I they, don't want to get on your bad side today, no. No, no. <laughs> I, I don't want to roll a toilet paper showing up here at my office now. Oh, you'd love it. You would love it. <laughs> So this meeting happened and, you know, things started to roll from there. I guess uh, you know, Rumsfeld and uh, Cheney were, uh, were buddies back then. I I'm sure they read your book and decided they could bomb somebody. That was their second favorite thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it did really drag us out once we started to, to get into a position where we had Congress and we had control away from Carter and the Democrats of a terrible economic position that we were in. 
in the late 70s. Do you see any parallels between then and now? I think we're in 1978 right now. We're coming into the midterm elections, just like we did in 78. The world looked really dark and grim back then. It really did. Uh, I went back and had been looking at uh, some of my papers and some of my speeches and stuff back then, and I was extraordinarily depressed about the future of the country. Uh, We were in a secular decline. Jimmy Carter was about as bad as it gets. That's true until we got to Joe Biden. And, uh, you know, and it's it's very much the same thing. Now, you can't guarantee that the same consequences will occur uh, that occurred then. But I, I couldn't see the I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel, to be honest with you. Uh, and then we had this Tiger Hansen bill passed in 1978, which cut the capital gains tax rate quite substantially. Then we got some other stuff happened. Uh, you know, Jimmy Tart Carter did his national energy plan and all that. And the economy was terrible. And then the skies opened. The sun shone forth on the earth. Oh, here comes Reagan. The animals multiplied. The, the trees blossomed and bore fruit. The children danced. And <laughs> Ronnie Reagan was nominated. And then he was elected. And then the future came that was just so spectacular all the way through Clinton. As you probably know, I voted for Clinton twice. I thought he was a great president. And, uh, you know, and it's not Republican. It's not Democrat. Kennedy did it uh, in the 60s, did this huge of the go-go 60s with tax cuts and pro-growth policies. Uh, Harding and Coolidge did it in the 20s. Jerry Brown, I did his uh, flat tax when he ran against Clinton in 1992. Uh, so, you know, it's not a Republican Democrat thing. It's really just good economics. Just, you know, have you ever heard of an economy being taxed into prosperity? <laughs> I missed I missed that Nikon one. Uh, I've never also never heard just I tried to tell Joe Biden this, but I'm, I, I don't think he got it. <laughs> but I've never heard of a poor person spending himself into wealth. No. It, it just makes no sense at all. And yet macroeconomics should be just as common sense as everything else. It's not mystical. It's not magical. Things don't pop out that never existed before. Uh, people don't work to pay taxes. They work to get what they can after tax. It's that very personal and very private incentive that motivates them. And, you know, when you pop it up too high, you destroy initiative output. and You cause people to spend their times figuring out tax shelters rather than working. You know, and all of that stuff. And the, this book illustrates all of that stuff historically. And you can see it through all the ages, all the different things they did. It's really a fun read. Some of it you'll kick, giggle and chuckle. Uh, chapter two describes the historical litany of all the major tax shelters. We go through 20 of them at different times, different places. Only 20 of them. And there are a lot more. Oh, you yeah, no, there are thousands more. No, there, there are 20 <laughs> yeah. really, really big ones that have began right in the beginning of time. And, you know, there, um, Mrs. Dodge having all of her wealth in, in state and local bonds, which you didn't even have to report. To. Right, because it wasn't federally taxed. Never. Not taxed. Not only not taxed, it wasn't reported right. back then. Yeah. You didn't even have to report it. And, you know, this is a, an estate that was huge. Right. And you know, it, it, it on it goes. And, and, and why did she do that? Because the the, the uh, highest federal tax rate was ninety one percent. Well, you're pretty high. Yeah, it was even higher back then when she was around. But but yeah, it's it's true, and that that's what happens. Well, I mean, yeah, the book is great. Like I said, I just got the book, so I'm going through it. But I'm looking at it, and I thought what was great is the way you started of chapter one is the just the history of taxes. I mean, let's just and it. It occurs to me, as you talk about 78 being kind of like where we are now, a lot of, a lot of comparisons, there's not much we haven't done. I mean, we, I mean yeah, we've, we've tried it all. 
and we know what works. But we don't learn from it. No. The problem is we don't. You know, uh, very seriously with you for a second, everyone's allowed to have his or her own opinion. You right. really are. This is America after all, and you're allowed to have your own, but you're not allowed to have your own facts. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when your ideas don't comport with the facts, you got to change your ideas. You can't pretend and change the facts. You know, without data, anything is possible. This book lays out the data. And I've specifically wanted to focus on the top 1% of income earners and the highest tax rate, because that's where the political debate goes. All the one percenters, you know, the Sayas, the Piketty's, the uh, Elizabeth Warren's, the Bernie Sanders, the ALZ, let's tax the rich. What happened when we tax the rich? We know what happened when we tax the rich. And they don't know straight up from Sikkim. Whenever we raise the top tax rate, seriously, look at these numbers. Whenever we raise the top tax rate, the economy underperformed. Whenever we lowered the top tax rate, it outperformed. There it is in black and white. Also, whenever we raised the top tax rate, rich people earned less. They did. But what they did earn, they sheltered. Yeah. And the economy tanked and poor people got hammered. You know, the 1930s, when we raised rates up to 90 percent, 94 percent in the 40s, Poor people got killed. So that we also know. The other thing we know is whenever you raise tax rates on the rich, tax revenues from the rich went down. Every time you lower tax rates on the rich, tax revenues from the rich went up. Duh, that, those are the numbers. Now you tell me how I can listen to a Bernie Sanders speech and not puke uh, uh, or watch Elizabeth Warren say her. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just, you've got to ground yourself in facts. There is no reason the facts are this way, but they are. And you've got to live within those facts. This is the wrong show to defend Bernie Sanders. That, well, that, I'm not trying to defend yeah. anyone. Well, I know you're not, but I'm not going to defend them either. Okay. I mean, well, you know, but the point of it is, is this is just, it's, it's fact-based. And if they raise the tax rates on the rich, believe me when I tell you, the revenues from the rich will go down. The economy will underperform, which is exactly what's happening. Well, Part of it also is, you know, they say, what's the oldest lie on Wall Street? This time it'll be different. Yeah. One of the oldest lies in Washington, gosh, there's so many, is that they're going to close tax loopholes. And, and they don't. And they're not going to. And this is in, in your book. What I did read is, is it not just the muni bond incidents with, with the heiress of Dodge, you know, where she didn't pay federal income tax and didn't even have to report it. There were chairmans and, and CEOs running companies back then and saying, you know, hey, why don't you pay me a few bucks in salary and the rest is going to be in stock options and stocks and I'm going to only pay capital gains. Oh, and, the, and, the, and the restaurants down there, they paid in kind. They did all that stuff. They have beautiful offices, art collections. I mean, it's amazingly all the different dodges they've bought to get around taxes. It's just, a, and let me just tell you, when, when you see a peep, group of people hanging around with Joe Biden or Obama Wama or whatever, don't think these are street people trying to explain to them what it's like being poor. No, no these are no. people from Goldman Sachs who are shifting back and forth into and out of government, legislating a new tax shelter. They then go back to Goldman Sachs and sell it to the other people. You know, there is a strong incentive for developing ways of keeping your own money. And that's what they do. I was talking to David Skokel last week, obviously a very intelligent, very successful man. He, he kind of talks about the fact that, look, we've been through this before and we can get to greener pastures just when it looks dark, which was a nice uplifting message that I appreciate. 
But also, he's been in rooms, and I've been in rooms, where you have these people that are talking about getting to ESG, whatever that means, whatever, whatever you define it as, because it's not really defined, and they don't care if you're paying $30 for a cheeseburger. They think that's a great thing. As long as you, know, you get to clean energy tomorrow or you get to some kind of political ends for the party tomorrow. And we both make the observation when you look across the table, every one of those people are rich. They can, they can absolutely afford a $30 hamburger. <laughs> they don't care. They don't care. They just want that soundbite. Not everybody's going to be able to afford it. And I'm just, I'm tired of being pandered to by them. I really am. Yeah. You know, you, you look at the air today. I mean, I, I shouldn't be admitting this to you, but I was born in Youngstown, uh, Ohio. Uh, yeah. Flint, Michigan. In so we won't hold it against you. Well, you know, the story was when I was a kid that if Christ had come back to the earth and had made the error of landing in Cleveland, Ohio, <laughs> to prove that, in fact, he were the Christ, he wouldn't have to walk on the water. Hell, anyone could walk on the water. He'd have to sink in it. <laughs> and today, if you look at Cleveland and you look at Lake Erie, it's clean. The air in L.A. is no longer three-stage smog alerts. We made enormous progress on the environment. The black-footed ferrets back, the bald eagles back. I mean, we have made huge progress in the environment and what's going on. I am very much an environmentalist, but not when it costs a lot to get nothing. Well, when there's no plan, number one, there's no real plan. And we do still have problems. Listen, I mean, you know, Lake Erie may look great, but the Flint River still looks like shit. And that bothers me. My, you know, my well, family still lives in Michigan. Hey, pal. Hey, pal. Yeah, Michigan looks hey, like that. I mean, hey. come on. Let's just be hey. serious. Hey. Ohio's cool, but Michigan. We, <laughs> we sit above you, just so you know. We sit right above you, and we will settle this in four weeks. Oh, right? oh we've got the game, yeah. huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will settle it. We will see. Uh, but, like, look, you know, it's, it, there's no real plan that energy companies can hold on to and say this is what we're going to have to do over the next 10 years. We can't dance for our money tomorrow, and then it's just a whole different tune the next day. No. But let, let me, if I can, come to you with a little different way, if I, if it's, if I may. Yeah. And I, I've worked a lot. One of my dear friends here is Al Gore. If you look at his book, The Future, uh, I was one of three blurbs on it. I think he's an extraordinary, uh, uh, extraordinary intellect. Um, and there may be something to this hydrocarbon. Uh-huh. We hope so. But the way you solve it is not doing mandates. The way you solve it is not doing all this stuff top down. What you should do is do a carbon tax and take the proceeds from the carbon tax and reduce the income tax dollar for dollar. So you have it that people tilt away from carbon-based things naturally on their own accord without being told to do it. It's because price is reflected. And by lowering the income tax rates, you will create the prosperity that will, would have been destroyed by the carbon tax. And you'll have a very good way of cleaning the environment along their lines uh, and, and responding to it now uh, without killing the economy. Now, I took that to... I think 20 Democratic senators, some of them I know really, really well, not one of them would be willing to buy into it. They want to keep the proceeds. The real <laughs> truth is they are after higher taxes, not 
not carbon tilting away from carbon. That And Al Gore, exact opposite, by the way, he has proposed this from day one, that we should do a carbon tax and then reduce pro rata, a dollar for dollar income taxes or payroll taxes, which I am a big fan of his. And I think that would be a great thing to do. But you can't get a Democrat to go along with it. Well, they I mean, you can't. You, I mean, look, I mean, Clinton or uh, Gore's conservative fiscal policy and outlook back in the 90s, they couldn't get past a primary for dog catcher in the in the Democratic Party today. No, no, they couldn't even debate Fetterman. <laughs> well, Fetterman can't debate Fetterman. And by the way, you got to be careful with dogs when you're a wolf pack. You know, that's true. You got to, you know, <laughs> Doctor yeah, Lefferts. Fair enough. Why is it always the the stick with the with the government and policy? Like, why isn't it incentives, say, to a, a manufacturing facility to put carbon scrubbers on their facility, and they're incentivized to do that rather than saying we're going to stick it to you with with taxes, right? Because the whole yeah. point is to not pay taxes. Well, well what you want to do is allow the genius of the business community to solve the problem correctly in the most efficient way to get the results you want. And doing that, government agencies are not the innovators, are not the creators of new technologies that make things work. So that's why I love putting on a carbon tax and let the businesses solve how they do it. You know, they may put on scrubbers, they may not. They may find alternative. There are just all sorts of ways that I don't even understand. When I look at businesses today, I'm just amazed at what they do. I mean, I'm just awestruck. How can you make all those hamburgers like that? And so good. Look at McDonald's. Look at look at uh, Tesla. Look at all the I mean, let them have the incentives and then let them run. Uh, you know, I mean, that seems like what our company, uh, our country was founded on. Right. It does to me, too. Rich people are wonderful. Yeah. The problem in this country is poverty. And what you want to do is not make the rich poor. You want to make the poor rich. And, you know, you build up. I mean, and, you know, I've never, I mean, Phil Graham says it. I love the way he says it. You know, I never got offered a job by a poor person. (laughs) And, you know, these guys who have made America the greatest place on earth are the top 1%. They're the people who've done the innovation score. That's what distinguishes us from every other country in the world. In Ethiopia today, there are street cleaners all over the place. They're not the ones who who pushed the prosperity. It's the tippy top, the guys who did the innovations, the guys who developed the product, the guys who made us all really rich. And that's the wonderful thing about America. You too can get your your, your wealth in heaven by developing a great product that everyone wants and it's good for the country. And that's what I think we've lost with Biden. He talks about doesn't like trickle down. He wants to fatten out or whatever he says, blow out or come up. What is it? He has a phrase on it. no. The top ones are the ones that drive the show. And if you go after the top 1%, you're going to destroy America's growth. That's what this book shows. Taxes have consequences. Read it. Look at it. See the facts. You know, our facts are that the U.S. has really prospered because of the innovations of the top 1%. And I guess I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it because it's such in the zeitgeist. I guess you're not a big fan of a flat tax on billionaires of 1% or 2%. No, I want a flat tax on everyone. Oh, you Steve Forbes thing. Well, it's even better. It's all of it. It's what I did with Jerry Brown when he ran for president. We got rid of all A taxes. Democrat, by the way. Yeah. Jerry Brown, yeah, he's a wonderful guy, by yeah. the way. 
uh, we we cut, got rid of all federal taxes, the income tax, the corporate tax, the capital gains tax, the death tax, the unearned income tax, all payroll taxes, both employer and employee. We got rid of the Medicare, Medicaid tax, excise taxes, all we got rid of all taxes with the exception of sin taxes. And, and the reason we kept sin taxes is their purpose is not so much to raise revenues as it is to change behavior. Speeding tickets. Uh, I jokingly say we Americans don't like drunk people smoking while they shoot each other. No, <laughs> no. Alcohol, tobacco, and fire, you know. But you just and that the sin tax are a very small sliver of all taxes, and we replaced all federal taxes with two flat rate taxes: one on business net sales. That's if you're a Republican. If you're a Democrat, it's a value added tax. And a personal unadjusted gross income tax with no deductions, no exemptions, no exclusions, one or two in there, but all those two. If you did that with just two taxes at 12%, you would match all federal tax revenues without any Laffer curve effect. Not, none of that. It would be static revenue neutral. Can you imagine what this country would look like? It'd all be collected by businesses. So if, if the company owes you 100 bucks, they send you 88 bucks and they send 12 bucks in. You know, and when you buy something, it's got a 12 percent tax on the VAT. Bang! Can you imagine? We went from ninth in the race in uh, 1992 to second in the race. We had that blue-eyed character from Hope Arkansas. You know, the one who sucked his lower lip all the time. You know, <laughs> Billy Clinton. Yeah. We had him on the ropes. We were coming into New York and into California in the primary. We were just uh, had defeated him in Connecticut and in Oregon. Okay, and we were coming, and we were closing in on Clinton. We had that. Oh, we had him. He was just shaking and quivering like an old. I mean, you know, our phrase was, "What's got you flopping on the dock?" You know, he was just sitting there. And uh, then Jerry Brown announces three weeks before the primary in New York that he's going to name Jesse Jackson Jackson as his running mate. We didn't win because of that. But we did have the second most number of votes, delegates, in the Democratic primary with a complete flat tax. I mean, complete flat tax. How's that? I mean, that's cool. That's what we need. Well, I mean, the way you describe the, the complete flat flat tax makes no sense. We'd have nothing to argue about. So, I mean, you know. Why are you so reasonable? You don't go to church, do you? <laughs> I don't, but my wife goes every Sunday. She goes to Mass. And, well, does she have stuff to argue about there? No, she just takes my money with her. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I'm just bunch of money, too. That's a, I'm trying to provide something like church, and uh, you just send me your money. <laughs> Some of the arguments on flat tax, would, and I'm a fan of it. Uh, let me just, you know, in all candor, I, you know, obviously. I'm not rich, but I'm rich adjacent. So, you know, poor still disproportionately pay because you have other taxes like gas tax, you have Payroll sales tax. tax. Involved, yes. These things would disproportionately affect them. And that's the big argument. Would you agree? Well, the big argument here is that uh, it's about proportional to what they pay now. The payroll tax today is what? 14%. That's just federal. Yeah. Uh, you got the you got federal taxes on other stuff like gas taxes. Now, a lot of those are state and local as well. Uh, you've got other things, you know, you've got tariffs that come in on products from abroad. And, you know, all of, if you look at it, the tax is pretty evenly distributed. Uh, maybe the, the two groups that face the highest marginal tax rates are the poor and the very rich. The poor face high marginal tax rates because every time they earn anything more, they lose their welfare benefits. So it's called a poverty trap. You know, I did a, a little thing on, let me just describe it to you. And I think your viewers might find it entertaining. If you take a single mother 
This is law today in Philadelphia. Single mother, uh, if she earns $29,000, what I did was I calculated all the taxes she'd have to pay in that $29,000 and get her after-tax take-home pay, okay? I then took all the social welfare benefits that were, she was eligible for at that level of income, which is a lot, and I added up the economic uh, value of all those social welfare benefits and added those two together. So this is her total spending power today at $29,000 income. You, you follow me? Yeah. Now, if she shows gumption, initiative, <laughs> really goes get them, and she increases her income to $58,000. I did the same calculation. I took all of her after-tax income, got all of what she got in her income. I then looked at the social welfare benefits she would get, which are much less than they were before, and the number came out exactly the same as it was at $29,000. She faces a 100% marginal tax rate today in Philadelphia. This is the way it is today. That's a very high tax. You wonder why people don't get out of the poverty trap. With a low-rate, broad-based flat tax, you're going to create jobs, output, employment, and production so they earn more. That's why I wrote Enterprise Zones in the early 1970s. If you've got a problem in the inner city, where don't give them welfare, for God's sakes. Make it a tax-free zone. If you make it anyone who... Uh, anyone who lives in the enterprise zone and who goes to work in a company in the enterprise zone, no payroll tax, neither employer or employee, no income tax, up to $50,000 a year income. You have to get rid of all the regulations, restrictions, and requirements that are anti-growth, no minimum wage, so then get on the job training. And, you know, you could create the prosperity overnight with no cap. In other words, it's not a trap, though. Once you get rich, then they come and slam you. No. That's what we should be doing. But these guys just don't want to hear it. That's why I did that with Jack Kemp and Ronald Reagan. I describe it sort of humorously. Here are two white guys, uh, one who wished he were black, Jack Kemp, and one who never met one, Ronald Reagan. Just joking. <laughs> just joking. But, but the truth of the matter is they bought into it. But I couldn't get the Democrats to do it at the time, even though they thought it was good. They just didn't want to get into it. But we've got to get rid of this welfare trap in the inner cities. Uh, otherwise, They'll be held down forever and ever and ever. You go and pretend you're living in the inner city, and it's tragic what the government is doing to you. They make you welfare dependent, yeah. and once you try to break that welfare dependency, they nail the hell out of you right. and force you back down. And look at what happened in Ferguson. I mean, if you were a kid in Ferguson, that guy, Michael Brown, it's such a tragedy that here he is 6'4", he's 18 years old, no future. I mean, he's angry. He doesn't have a chance in this world. Grabs that stuff out of there. Then he goes and meets another guy who doesn't have much of a chance the cop two instruments of the socialist state coming out in the street and shooting each other you know it's just so tragic what the left-wing policies have done to make the poor much worse and then they always sell it on oh i'm trying to be kind to the people who don't have no you're not you're you're enslaving them that's what they're doing and it's crazy. yeah i mean look you know it, anytime that you know any of the lower disenfranchised or, or the poor, as you'd call them, want to complain about Democrats, the Democrats remind them we're the one writing the check. Well, that's right. That's And that's the enslavement. And when you're there in that day, you don't look past tomorrow. When you're hungry, when you're, I mean, think of, think of it. I don't know if you guys have kids or not, uh, but let me just say, how what would you do is if the government pays you to leave your wife and kids and they'll give your kids and wife more money if you leave? 
I'm gone. <laughs> well, yeah, you'll leave. Well, I don't like the way you smiled on that one. But you know what? A guy who loves his family, of course he's going to do what no, he can to yeah. make his family better off. And they made the incentive to leave your wife and kids so they're raised in a single mother home. That's not the way to make America great. Yeah, no, your point is well taken. Like, the, you know, when we, when we talk about single father homes, and I think this is across racial lines because, you know, uh, you know, in part of the lower income neighborhoods I grew up in in Flint, so yeah, I, I, you know, we had you no grew money. up in Flint. Yeah, I did. Oh no wonder you sort of took a <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. no no you realize you just exposed the vulnerability to me. I, I'm talking about a gift of growing up in Flint. <laughs> yeah, you've been drinking too much of that water. Let me tell you guys. Uh, listen, that listen, does, that's a sore subject. It's a sore subject. That's a real neurons. thing. But I will tell you that, you know, I mean, single father homes there, whether you're in a white family or a Hispanic family or whatever, it's, it's a very difficult situation. It does matter. It doesn't matter. It's just terrible for humans. Yeah. And, you know, without a father around, you know, it's just, I love my dad so much. Yeah. He, I mean, I got so much from my dad. That, Me too. I mean, God, and these kids don't get it. And yeah. that you can tell a mile away when they come in not having had a father. Yeah. Well, when you're trying to be a man from the age of six years old, it uh, it, it 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 stumps you because like, it does. And and they don't know how to act like a man. They don't know how to be. Ugh, I would, you know, I'm just. It's so sad and it's so unnecessary. But, but our economic policy, yes, uh, to your point, will incentivize someone. Like I, I know people today. They're like, I'm not getting married. I, you know, my kids are, you know, getting health benefits from the state. And if I do get married, then. That's right. I, I rest my case. That's right. Yeah. It's aid for dependent children is what, it, that, you know, there. I mean, I can go through tons and tons. of. And you want them to have it. I mean, geez. I mean, who, who's anti-aid for dependent children? Except when you realize what happens. Well, it just starts way before that, I think, is what you're saying and what I'm saying. It's, you know, that's the end result that, you know, they need aid, right? But it started yeah. way before that. Yeah. And if you had a low-rate, broad-based, flat tax and enterprise zones, they wouldn't need it. No. That's the whole thing. And when you finally got them crippled enough that they're sitting there crying, then you have to give it to them. And then you're heartless if you don't. And the whole system feeds on itself. It's this vicious cycle spiraling down. It's a... a uh, what I I don't know what your audience is like, but it's the Wumford. Do you remember the Wumford? The Wump the the Mumford that was a no, Detroit high school. Wump. No bird. No. Bird. It's a bird no. that flies in ever decreasing concentric circles until all of a sudden, whoop, it flies up its own butt. Really? That's what these policies are doing. They just they feed on themselves. They create the very need for welfare that they're supposed to alleviate, and that is the real tragedy of these programs. And then these guys get up there and pontificate on some speechify on some podium at, oh, some Flint fair or something like that. They're up Don't there. Oh, well, I want to help the poor and the, you know, that's just all disgusting what they do. Well, they don't come to Flint anymore at all. <laughs> they just, they, they skip it. So that, that's how bad we are. My son-in-law just won, uh, well, just won the primary and is going to win the general election in the state Senate in Michigan. Really? And, yeah, and, and, and uh, District 17, that's near Hillsdale and all that area, if you know that, southern Michigan along there, right along the Indiana border. Oh, okay. It's, a little bit, it's about half the w state. West side or east side? Yeah, it's west. Yeah, so, okay, so it's under Kalamazoo and Battle yeah. Creek. Yeah, gotcha. But it's down a little lower. 
it's right along the border there. Uh, so he wanted, he's really cool. It's a 65% Trump district. So we think he's going to win the election pretty nicely. But he, he's way cool. Special Forces, Green Beret. Well, good. Maybe he can help us with that border wall on Ohio. <laughs> well, you know, the, uh, you know, Schumbeckler, you, do you remember Schumbeckler, remember? Oh, come on. I went to his football camps. I, I you know, you know where he was from. Yeah, I know. Oh, I, you're I, tell me he wasn't from Ohio, huh? huh, huh? <laughs> I do know that he evolved, yes. Do yeah. <laughs> hey, you remember Woody Hayes, his comment? Oh, my God. I remember his last act was to punch somebody out on the sideline for intercepting a ball. He The one he was asked once is, what happens if you were in Michigan and your car ran out of grad gas? You he push said, it. I'd get around and push it back to Ohio before I'd fill it up. <laughs> uh, you know what? You know what? This is fun. Yeah. Hey, listen, what do you say to an Ohio State grad on your porch? Nothing. You pay him for the pizza and he leaves. Oh. Tell him it's done. All right. So moving on from from you know how much better Michigan is. Where where we're at now, we gotta talk about where we're at now, Art. I mean, because there's still green pastures to be had, right? I mean, there's war on the horizon. Nuclear war. Any kind of war, but certainly a war in Europe's got to make everybody a little nervous. If you if you're not, you're just not reading books. Why are we there? Look, that's part of it. That's put us have it. Why are we there? NATO. There are a lot of places on Earth that have injustices being done. Right. Are we going to put troops everywhere? Well, we're in over a hundred countries, so the answer is yes. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I think we may have some problems in this. I mean, I was so glad we got out of uh, Afghanistan. I didn't like the way we got out, but I was. No, that was a war shit show. Long. Oh, it's, it really was. Uh, and then we just immediately dump ourselves into a war and land war in Europe. I mean, uh, it's crazy. We, we've got all of these things. Uh, let me go through the five pillars of prosperity for you, if I can. Give it. All right. Number one, uh, the and I'm going to describe to you the ideal, the North Star. And then we're going to compare today with what it is, what the North started with taxes. All taxes are bad, but some are worse than others. What you want to do is collect your tax revenues in the least damaging fashion, which is a low rate, broad based flat tax. So you provide people the least incentives to evade, avoid, or otherwise not report taxable income and broad based. So you have the least place they can stick their income and avoid. So pillar number one, you the key, the North Star is a low rate, broad based flat tax spending restraint. Now, government is good. We need government. We need roads. We need schools. We need a judicial system. We need military. We need all this. But that's what we need. Anything larger than that is too much. Anything smaller than that's too little. So we need spending restraint. Pillar number one, a low rate, broad based flat tax. Pillar number two, spending restraint. Number three, money. We need a sound dollar. We need stable prices. So we have low rate, broad based, flat tax, spending restraint, sound money. We don't have sound money. Number four, we need we need regulations. We do. We need them badly. You can't drive one day on the right hand side of the road and the next day on the left. But we need low rate, broad based, flat tax, spending restraints, sound money, and minimal regulations. You don't want those regulations to go beyond the specific purpose at hand and do a lot of collateral damage. You, you follow me? Lastly, we need free trade. There are some things we produce better than foreigners, and some things foreigners produce better than we do. We would be foolish in the extreme, and so would they. If we didn't sell them those things, we make better than they do. 
in exchange for those things they make better than we do. It's called the gains from trade, comparative advantage, David Ricardo. And, you know, all five of these pillars were going in the wrong direction. The guys added 87,000 new IRS agents, $80 billion. They want to raise taxes on everything that walks, crawls, swims, flies. Wrong direction. Spending restraint. Hello? There's no spending restraint in this country at all. $4 trillion from this Yahoo who did it there. Our debt to GDP has gone from 82% to 125% in the last four years. $30 trillion. Yeah. Then number three, sound money. Hello? Well, have you looked at inflation lately? These guys at the Fed don't know straight up from Sikkim. They don't understand it. There's not a Paul Volcker in there. There's not an Alan Greenspan in there. There's not a McChesney Martin. Number five, regulations. That's all these guys do is regulate everything. Oil ones, we close it. Blah, 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 blah. And then lastly, free trade. They're denying all. We should be trading with China and Russia, not nuclear weapons. I agree with that. But, we, you know, when you trade with someone and they pay you for what you produce and stuff, you tend to like them. You tend to work with them. So all five pillars of prosperity, these guys are on the wrong side of all of them. What we've got to do is take over, and we aren't going to, we're going to win maybe the House and the Senate, maybe, maybe not. I think we probably will, but we're at least win the House. But then we've got two years of hell coming. I mean, you know, we got it. We got old Looney Tunes up there doing his stuff, and we got enough Democrats in there to be really country. And then we've got 24. That's where we have the chance. And, you know, what I think happens there, hopefully, is we will have someone come up that will be very clear on the five pillars of prosperity. You get the low rate, broad based, flat tax, spending restraints, sound money, minimal regulations, free trade. Then get the hell out of the way and let markets solve the problem. You're much better at solving problems for yourself than I am. I, I know, well, maybe not you. No, not me. Most people, not most people. You're from Flint. I forgot that. Yeah, there you go. But I'm from Youngstown. Yeah. Yeah. When someone from Youngstown meets someone from Flint, it's ecstasy. Really? I mean, you can't find a place worse I, than I Youngstown. I found that to be the case. <laughs> but you call it, you follow Carl's me? pick is DeSantis 24, absolutely. That's that's Carl's well, pick. All these guys, let me just tell you, be very careful on getting too involved in one person. Oh, God, uh, isn't because, that true? But because, you know, they change. Reagan, uh, when he was, before he ran for governor, he was head of the AFTRA and SAG, a union leader. Uh, he was a very belligerent, militaristic union leader. He caused a nationwide strike. Who would believe it? When he was governor, he raised the highest income tax rate in the state from 9.2 to 11.2, raised the capital gains tax rate from 9.2 to 11.2, raised the corporate tax, was the biggest social spender of any governor in California's history up until then. He chaired the Equal Rights Amendment, chaired it, didn't just support it, chaired it. Uh, he eliminated all the anti-abortion statutes in the state of California. Who could guess that man would become the greatest president we've ever had? Ronnie Reagan. You know, remember, people learn and they change. So don't just judge them by what they did. Yeah. Sit there and look at what they will do, not what they have done. And that's all I beg you. I think I you mean, mean in modern times. I mean, there was a there was a Lincoln in there and a, a Washington and a few others that were all right, too. I wasn't I, you know, I, I, I knew Lincoln just at the very end of just his at the end. <laughs> right. I didn't know him that you well. You opened the door to his on. carriage on the way to the opera? Or, or the, yeah, the, George, the George Washington was about five classes ahead of me at prep school, so. Yeah, I, look, I mean, th things do do change, and people do evolve. I, You could make the point about Reagan that he was always the same person. He just had uh, evolved into different principles of, of fiscal responsibility, but he was a tough guy to the end.
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I would, I worked with him very much from the very beginning. The reason I did was my godfather was his best friend. Oh. So I so very much in the social circles with them. And if you read Colicello's book, you can see my role as this little fly all the way through all the social sets. Uh, and it was really fun that, but Reagan was a very nice man, a very good man, never got angry, never yelled at people. Uh, but he and, was but, firm and determined. I mean, like, I mean, you know, you... he changed his mind. He was a big taxer as governor and he was a big tax cutter as president. You know, the Reagan was uh, all sorts of different things during, but he learned, I used to tease him. I say, you know, when you were governor, Senate, governor, uh, Mr. President, and he said, yes, yes, I know, Art, I wasn't any good as a governor, but at least <laughs> I learned from my mistakes. And, you know, the truth is, when you look at these guys, pretty good impression. Yeah, well, yeah. Jack Kennedy, I mean, here was this loser of a dilettante who didn't even show up for votes and all that. A great, great president. You know what I'm begging you to and I beg your people, make sure you look at what the person's going to be. Not so much what he has been. Now, DeSantis, I am a big fan of DeSantis. I'm a big fan of Cruz's. I'm a big fan of Rick Scott's. I'm a big fan of Tim Scott's. I think all these candidates, Chris Christie, all they've all got what it takes. But now you, what you want to do is look at them in terms. And I'm a huge fan of Trump's, just so you know. Yeah, uh, I read and that. You look at what they got. Mm-hmm. And and sit there and say, you know, which one will do it best in this circumstance? And I think we're going to come up with an, a magical thing in 2024. I think we're going to find a Reagan and we're going to have the greatest prosperity because it took Jimmy Carter to create Ronald Reagan. Right. And it did. Yeah. And if, you th- if it didn't take Jimmy Carter to create Ronald Reagan, you can't imagine the great president who's going to follow <laughs> Joe Biden. Yeah. I was in uh, in the corporate world for a lot of years. And, you know, you get promotion. Is that why you have the coat and tie on and all that dressed up? Hey, so man, fancy? You, you want, somebody wants me to wear a suit these days, they're going to have to pay me. And nobody pays me. <laughs> I pay and myself. That's why you're not in the corporate world anymore. I mean, just like, well, that in Flint, Michigan. That in Flint, I went Michigan. In a oh different, I went in a different direction. But, like, you know, when, when you get promoted, the last thing you want to do is take over for a superstar that's getting promoted themselves. You come in and get promoted for, for somebody who just did an awful job and there's a bunch of low-hanging fruit you can pick up for that first year or two. Yeah, there's an old phrase on this. He who succeeds a fool uh, can't lose. Right. He who succeeds a genius is a loser to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't want that job. No, no you don't. But, but don't we're follow not... Ronald Reagan. I don't care who you are, but you love George Bush. I know you did. I and think he got a bad rap. rap. Listen, I think well, he, he got didn't a get bad, a bad rap. rap. Yeah. He did a bad job following Reagan. That's all. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I mean, he promised I, me personally I he wasn't going to raise taxes. And I well, saw he promised him. Us this... all. We told us, he told us to read his lips. Read my yeah, lips. And you know what I did? I tried to read his lips. And he met me as the number one delegate from California and that convention. And he said, read my lips. No, I tried to read his damn lips, but his nose was growing so fast. I couldn't see his lips. <laughs> we, we did have this little thing called a war to pay for. Uh, yeah, and yeah, when we yeah. stopped paying oh, for no, our you, wars, you got to read that book. You got to read the tax of consequences. Please. I'm going to. Just, I'm we got to have like, a war. Well, raising tax rates on the rich does not raise revenues. Think about that. No, think, I didn't say on the rich. You can't pay for a war uh, with high everybody. taxes on the rich. End of discussion. We could stop going to war for for, for small well, reasons. Let's do that, but George Herbert Walker Bush got us into war. Yeah, and he left us in Saudi Arabia too, a base there, which caused you know more and more problems for the last thirty years. So I do disagree with some of the things that he did do. Oh no! Now don't 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 start backtracking on me. Don't be a crayfish now today. <laughs> hey, hey, you can draw that in your way back. Listen, he's not a world class philanderer like Clinton, but you know he do was. You know that for a fact. Well, you know, actually, he. 
he did make some pretty offhand jokes, didn't uh, he? Uh, yeah, well, let's just stop right there. <laughs> I don't want to put He him. was in the head of the CIA. I think he would keep it quiet. I like Barbara Bush enormously. I was very proud when Bush put her picture on a $1 bill. <laughs> uh, you oh know, my and, god I, <laughs> she, she does look like him she does <laughs> in the 84 convention my room was right below the, at the Lowe's Anatole my room was right below theirs on the south tower yeah all right there and I was coming down and you know well you can see my personality already in this yeah, thing so, I know. You know, and I was in the elevator with Barbara and I said Mrs. Bush I mean, what was that going on? I'm right down here this floor. And I, what was all that commotion and racket? She said, oh, Arthur, now you stop that. <laughs> I just, she was just a wonderful lady. And, you know, by all I, accounts, by yeah, all accounts. Yeah, but, yes. but he was not a wonderful president. And uh, he was a great vice president. I endorsed him and I supported him in 88. Okay, just for the, I campaigned for him in New Hampshire. I tried to undo all the damage we did to him in 1980. Yeah. And I did that with Sununu and all of that. And uh, I did the front page editorial on the, on the Manchester Union leader with Mrs. Loeb and all that stuff. Uh, but he did not keep his promise. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, a lot of them don't There's keep no their excuse promise. To you you say one thing about Trump, but like the guy, I mean, I think he kept a list with him and he's just like, I promise this, I promise this. And he did keep most of his promises, whether he was telling the truth all the time or not. Uh, apparently promises meant something to him, but I don't remember Clinton keeping all of his promises or, or Bush Jr. keeping all it's, of his promises. You know, you know, look at look at promises are there. There are some promises you're supposed to keep and some you don't. You know, not, it's not some you don't keep, but there are some that are much less important. Oh, come on. I'll meet you there tomorrow at three o'clock. All right. Well, then, oh, something came up and I couldn't come. I called you and told you that's, you know, that's not a breaking a promise. Read my lips. No new taxes. Seventy five thousand times. He said that that was a promise. Every campaign trail killed him. That was a serious promise. That and Perot killed him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Perot, Perot was created by him. This is a chicken. <laughs> there you go. And, you know, but but also the war in the Middle East is just not what we want. Reagan, no. you know, yes, peace through strength. I rem I could tell you the stories about Reagan with Gorbachev and the conversations they had. You wouldn't believe. I mean, how cool the guy was. And look at Reagan made some mistakes. He was older and stuff, but all of the substantive stuff. And he had the best advisor in the world in George Schultz. George Schultz was the rock of Gibraltar. He. George had hired me four times, and he never learned not to hire me, but God was great with Reagan. Were you there when Reagan realized that Russia's economy was no bigger than California? For that epiphany that he had, or shortly after? Well, we had, I had a lot of, I saw Reagan a great deal. In fact, I never took a job from a president after being in the Nixon White House. I was George Schultz's right-hand person back then, so in 1970 to 72. Uh, but then I made a vow I'd never take money from a politician, because once you do, you lose all your independence. You know, you're then an employee. And, you know, these people today, and I'll just say this, but these people today in Washington, all of his economists and everything, they will rebut arguments they know to be true in order to curry favors with their political benefactors. The hell you say. And that's what they do. Uh, you look at Janet Yellen, you know she doesn't Transitory. agree with that $4 trillion dollars in spending. You look at these guys and, you know, you know it's just, just crap, but they have no choice. They're employees. So when you look at this and Reagan, Reagan, I didn't work for Reagan. I didn't take a paycheck from him. I was able to see him all the time, spend time with him. And I think I won almost all the battles. 
against his staff. But the point of it is, is that Reagan really tried to do the right thing all the time. Yes, he did make mistakes. When he put on tariffs on Japanese steel exports to the U.S., that wasn't a good move. You know, he put on anti-dumping provisions. And, you know, there were a bunch of things like that. But on balance, this guy just was great. And Bush just wasn't. Yeah. And Clinton and Clinton was great, and he never kept the promise. <laughs> Thank God. Clinton broke every promise and acted reasonably. Uh, that you, I thought you'd think about that for a second. Well, I mean, look, I mean, you you see that you're a very deregulation guy and, and, and a globalist almost at any cost, right? So... No, not at any cost. Oh, good. No, I think uh, Michigan, look at the auto industry in Michigan. They lost all their auto industry to Tennessee. I was there. I'm, I'm here. Yeah. They're all the auto companies are in Tennessee. They're, They're not in just Tennessee. Anymore. They lost them to Canada and Mexico first. And then. No, uh, no, no. Tennessee. We've got them all. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> do you know what our income tax rate is? Listen, you got an old refurbished Saturn plant. <laughs> <laughs> it works. There you go. There you go. It works. And we have no income tax. We're the third lowest property taxes in the nation. We have no gift tax, no estate tax, no unearned income tax. And we are the lowest, single lowest tax state in the nation. You wonder why we're the fastest growing state in the nation. You better we stop talking about this or people from California are going to move there. Yeah, yeah. I did. And they're, and <laughs> they're bringing right. their politics with them. I uh, did. I brought my politics with me, too. We went from a solid blue state when I moved here. Six out of the eight congressional seats were all Democrat. The supermajority is Democrat in the House and the Senate here, a Democratic governor. Now there's not a Democrat in Tennessee. We've got seven out of eight seats are now Republican. We've got supermajorities Republican in the House and the Senate, and our governor's Republican. I mean, we haven't seen a Democrat for— Well, you're just, you're just floating there. You're so happy to talk about it. We're looking for a Democrat. Where the, I thought I saw one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know— Listen, that's a place that that's the kind of state to be in. And that's one of the things I, you know, I don't love about Pennsylvania. And people have to admit, people are flocking to Texas and Florida. Tennessee. And, and Tennessee. These are states that are growing. We lost a congressional seat this round in Pennsylvania. I think yeah, Michigan they, did we too. Should have won. We should have won one and we didn't, but we'll get it next time. But we'll get two next time. But we are the only state that attracts AGI from Florida. Talk to me about about where we are now with the debt and $30 trillion. Well, and I'm not going to hit on the debt so much. Let me do one thing before I yeah. vanish into the darkness. Yes. I want to talk to you about one economic concept that I think you and your readers just, it's easy to understand, and it's so important. It's called the redistribution theorem, and it's a math theorem. Let me just describe it to you verbally. Redistribution occurs when you take from someone who has a little bit more right, and you give to someone who has a little bit less. You with me? I'm with you. All right, that's all the government spending, all the COVID and all that $4 trillion is all redistribution. That's all it is. Now, when you take from someone who has a little bit more, you reduce that person's incentives to produce, and that person will produce a little bit less. When you give to someone who has a little bit less, you provide that person with an alternative source of income other than working, and that person, too, will produce a little bit less. This is math. It's not left-wing. It's not right-wing. It's not liberal. It's not conservative. It's not Republican or Democrat. Whenever you redistribute income, you always reduce total income, period. 
And that is exactly what we've done with these trillions and trillions of dollars, your deficit, your debt to GDP, all of that. And we are in a secular decline in this country that is virtually unstoppable unless we change politics. And it's math. It's nothing that it's these these Democrats or Republicans at universities in the East. They know they're saying BS all the time to you. They're just shoveling it all. Whenever you redistribute income, you all, if you tax people to work and pay people who don't work. Do I need to say the next sentence? Dan? No, but you, no. Do, you do need to explain to me how there's a Republican professor in the in the East. <laughs> Uh, or I'm thinking I'm thinking of a Rockefeller uh, Bush type of Republican. Uh, I see. I see. Because uh, you know, Bush, I got I put that for you. I assumed you were talking about uh, senior's father. Prescott? Uh, Prescott, yeah. Prescott from Connecticut. Yeah. I, I was also, by the way, Bush is a five, four, five generation Yaley. I'm a four generation Yaley. And it, when he came in and it was really funny when he joined us after we beat him in the primary in 80, he said, and I called you, oh my God. And I said, don't worry, you're just fine here. You attacked the only Yaley, the only Eastern establishment person in all of us in the Reagan camp. And then you go after me. And we had a good giggle on that, but he, he wasn't you guys just gave yourself some kind of secret handshake and rubbed each other's well, hand and I, I walked away. I was in a different secret society. He was in Skull and Bones. Skull and Bones, yeah, I was, yeah. I was in a different secret, uh, but. Well, well, now you're part of the Wolf Pack, which is way better than all of it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. People want to know where we're going to be next year and the year after because there's. Sadly, don't, don't, don't count on anything good. That you cannot undo what's been done. And all of that legislation, the Build Back Better baby, a pass, all this stuff has happened. Now, maybe some of the Ways and Means Committee can stop the funding for some of this stuff. Uh, what I, I have suggested to the Republicans in the House is as soon as they get in, the first thing they do is they build a, they make a bill to repeal the 87,000 new IRS agents and the $80 billion. Just that. And make sure everyone just votes on that so we can see where everyone stands, see if he vetoes it. You know, and just pick these special things out uh, because the key election is 2024. Now, we have a huge advantage in the Senate in 2024, and we have a huge advantage in the presidency in 2024 as well. We really do. Uh, and uh, we need to win that one to really bring us back to the prosperity. But between now and there, it's what they call August in Minnesota. It's a period of rough sledding. Really? And that is going to be true for the next two years. Don't expect miracles. It ain't going to happen. Now, what we hope we can do is stop them from doing additional damage. That I think we can do. But don't think we can reverse those policies because we can't. Uh, and then by the time we get to 2024, 2025, you're going to have some period of time for legislation to be put into place and all of that, just like we did with Reagan. Remember, it's 1978 today, and the boom started on January 1st, 1983. So we have a period of time here, which it's important for your readers to understand. Political process is not quick, but but it's very, very boom, 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 boom. And I believe we're going to have the greatest prosperity in history uh, in the future, but it's a ways out, uh, you know. You don't think China overtakes us? No. Okay. No, I was the first American to go to China in modern times. I went in 1970, October, with George Schultz and John Ehrlichman in Air Force Two. It's changed. Yeah, it is changing very badly to being socialist. Oh, uh, it used to be free market capital. 
Oh, but in the beginning days, it was pure raw supply side economics. Uh, they cut, uh, I think it was 93% of all of all production went through state-run enterprises in 1970. Now it's down to 8%, 9%, but now it's going back up. Uh, they pegged the yuan to the U.S. dollar in 1994. They outsourced monetary policy to Alan Greenspan. Inflation was going like this, and then it was on boom, stopped, just bang. You know, they opened up their borders to have free trade. They did, and they grew, I think it was 33-fold in real GDP per adult during a period when we grew a little less than threefold. You know, but now they have all of a sudden gotten Western European policies putting in place. You saw what Xi did to his predecessor the other day. And the oh my oh, god, yeah. walked him right out. Well, but you know, but this is not cool stuff. No, and they are destroying the very prosperity they they created through supply side economics in the fifty year period from nineteen seventy to nineteen. 2020, they were the miracle nation of Earth. They reduced poverty on this planet more than the entire history of humanity has reduced poverty. So, and now they're reversing all those policies. They're raising taxes. They're doing stimulus spending. They're doing. They're they're becoming Joe Biden, and you know that means their future is going to be. Do you remember? Do you remember the Défi Américain in the in the 1980s, Japan? Yeah, of, of, you, of course. Have you ever heard of Japan again? Look, Japan was an island and still is an island and mineral poor. And there's a lot of resources in China, that, like rare earths that they're taking advantage of. It's an economic and, system that does it, believe me. It's not your resources. Japan did it beautifully when they cut the tax rates coming back out. And then they all of a sudden, after Obuchi died uh, in, in with a stroke in office, after that happened, they got more came in and all these things. And they did all the stimulus spending. They're now the only country with debt levels greater than ours. And they've destroyed the entire prosperity of their country. Stagflation for 10, 15 years. Yeah, well, there's not flation. There's a stag. Uh, they've had deflation, uh, but you know they, they've done that, and China's just embarking on those policies too. And I, I feel very sorry for the Chinese, but don't worry, we're going to be in fine shape in 2030. Oh, and, and, and let me just say that I want us to all to consider as best we can China as a friend, not an enemy. I want to do business with them. You know, you become very good friends when you when they pay you and you pay them. And if they have a lot of investments in the U.S., they don't want to bomb us. You know, they don't want to bomb their own investment. So a global economy of free market, free trade economy is really good for Americans and Chinese. And they will learn from us as well, they have so many things. Undoubtedly, the people of China are our friends. They really are, and they are today. the The government of China is certainly not my friend. They've made that no. very. They've made no, that not. very it's clear. It's a belligerent person group, but but it is. But you can't defeat the government of China by defeating the people of we China. We sure are trying, Art. Yeah, you know, we're trying like mad to be the the goat. I mean. We're taking down one company at a time. We've gotten, what, 15 delisted? You know, something like that, 12, 15? There you go. Oh, that's going to be really helpful. Yeah, well, uh, they, they're not happy. No, neither are we. Do you see our economy, how we're doing? Oh, congratulations on that one. What's well, fraud. But it's not Chinese fraud. It's fraud of American companies with American companies. Stealing intellectual property is not unique of China. Uh, it yeah. happens all the time in the U.S. It happens all the time in China. And it happens between China and the U.S. And it happens between U.S. and China. Intellectual property stealing is not an ethnic thing. It's something that should be illegal and stopped. Correct. Everywhere, not just, oh, we're going to get you, China. No.
And, and all I beg you to do is think of it that if we trade with them and we get to know them and, you know, it'll be work out very much to our, our, our benefit, not to our detriment. Trade is not a good weapon for politics. And it works really against you, guy. Uh, and, you know, so you didn't like the tariffs that Trump put in place. I do like Trump's policies and trade because I think he was the real free trader of all the planet. All he did with uh, with all of these policies, the USMC, the US-Mexico trade agreement was great. The one we did with South Korea, the one we did with Japan, Trump was this. Trump tried to get policies where we eliminated all tariffs and all quotas and all restrictions on trade at the at the uh, uh, at the G7 meeting in Ottawa. Before he went to meet Kim Jong-un, he offered the other members there. I said, look, I've got to leave early. I've got to go to, uh, I've got to, go to uh, Singapore to meet with Kim Jong-un, which is really important for the peace of the world. I got to, but I've got a deal for the rest for you six. I will agree today to get rid of all tariffs and all non-tariff barriers if you guys will agree to do it too. And there was dead silence. They all looked at their shoes, up at the stars and stuff. Trump was a free trader. He's an international business leader. He understands free trade. He was using the policies there, the tariffs, et cetera, to get them to come to the table to negotiate honest free trade agreements with America. And that was Donald Trump, period. And that I can tell you, he was not the tariff man. He understood, <laughs> he understood how to negotiate. And he understood that he can't give his backup position because he's a negotiator and he was well on his way to doing it. The next four years of Trump would have been the greatest period of free trade in the world. But yeah, look, the carrot and the stick has got to be used at times. And I, I wasn't one that criticized necessarily the tariffs on China because they were always something he wanted to take away yes. and, and have. You got me confused with Toomey. That's, you know, he's, a, he's, he's the guy that had a big problem with the tariffs. Well, a lot of people, a lot of Republicans had big problems with the tariffs, and I have problems with those Republicans. They, uh, you know, uh, the free trade has been the greatest thing. NAFTA was wonderful. I mean, Bill Clinton and, uh, did it, I mean, pushed NAFTA through Congress, all with Republican support, but he did that. You got to just take your hat off the Bill Clinton. I mean, I, he just yeah. was amazing as a president. And you got to go back and look at Jack Kennedy. The Kennedy round tariff negotiation was wonderful, created great prosperity. I mean, you got to go back and just sit there. And Donald Trump was going in the second term would have been the greatest free trader you've ever seen. And phenomenal on economics. And he understood the benefits of free trade. Well, I, I'll tell you who I believe understands it's you. And I mean, you are just like one of the most lively guests I've had in, in years and very animated and thorough about your subject. They're write another book so we can have you back. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. my 22nd and get, and get, and get it to me rather than two days before. So I'll read the whole thing. I just wrote it. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't have given it to you a week before because it wasn't written. Listen, Art, this is all on you. This is Ohio people. They just are always <laughs> late. You know, you, you, you pick on me through ignorance. Yeah. Well, what else do I have <laughs> in Youngstown? Did I tell you about Youngstown when I was a kid? The mayor of Youngstown said that the Mahoning River is for jobs, not for fishes. Yeah. <laughs> he also said he was very famous for saying he was very famous for saying, I don't trust air. I can't see. Yeah. Oh, and he, he used to say every breath of air in Youngstown's four calories. Best thing come out of Youngstown besides now you the, was at O'Neill. Now, the last thing you want, the last one. They went down there. He saw 
a Blue Jay downtown Youngstown. The mayor did it back then, and this is in the 40s. Back there, he saw this Blue Jay downtown Young. Look at that Blue Jay. And the other guy said, hell, that's not a Blue Jay. That's a cardinal holding its breath. Well, in Flint, we just, it's just like, we'd be like, you know, our water sucks. There's no jobs here. General Motors is leaving. But eventually somebody would lift us up by saying, at least we're not in Youngstown. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, right. guys, it's been where, fun. Where can we follow you, Art? Where can people... Uh, I don't do follow. Let me just show you this. Can you see this? You, your flip phone? Oh my god! Yeah, I have yeah. a flip phone. I don't have an email address. You've got a. He's I got a Star know. Trek communicator. <laughs> I don't have a. I don't have a. I don't have a, a computer. Uh, I'm, I'm. I'm not from yesterday. I'm from the day before yesterday. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, but but you can do it. We have it here at Laffer Associates here in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we have a website for the Laffer Center. Uh, you can buy the book, uh, which yeah. is uh, Taxes Have Consequences. By the way, it's doing really well in sales. Just oh, so. I, I bet it is. I bet and it Trump is. Trump tweeted it out the other day. I mean, I, I do like that man a lot. He's a very nice man in person. I just like him very, very much. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Well, it's it sounds like you have fun with him. Yeah, no, listen. I mean, I I personally haven't had, you know, the, the – uh, bare-ass towel-snapping in the locker room session with Trump. and uh, we, I haven't know. either. I haven't okay, either. So but all I, I, can I tell don't you know is, him that well. But all I can tell you is he, he's, he's a CEO. He is. He's a boss. Uh, and that's why I'd never take a paycheck from those guys. I left. I worked in the Nixon White House, and that's a, I made a vow never to take a penny from a politician because then you're beholden to them. Well, I, I will say this, Art, and I truly mean this. I, I really hope, whether Democrat or Republican, that more of our politicians enlist you, not just because you're a great guy to talk to and very, very funny, but because like everything you say adds up. When you're talking about economics, things adding up kind of matter. <laughs> yeah. If you tax rich people and give the money to poor people, you're going to have lots and lots of poor people and no rich people. Well, we're always going to find the lo loopholes too. Well, of course they do, but that's not the way to run a country. It's not. Agreed. You don't want them to spend their time with lawyers and accountants and deferred income specialists and favor grabbers and oh lobbyists. God, you want yes. them to spend their time building good products. I know. That's, that's, it's the worst part of my week is spending time with any of those individuals. So I Great. hope they follow you. I've really enjoyed talking to you. I have We're going to follow you. I'm going to read your book. I'm going to send you my review. I would love that. Please do. There you go. If you send me make a nice one, I'll put it on our website. I'll... I'll there you go. There you go. Yeah, I know. It'll be a big deal. All right, Art. Thank you very much for your time. You are wonderful. Thank you.